Let's see, I have no fun, cute, or pithy stories, so you're just going to have to dive right into Romans chapter 7. So there, ha, ha, ha. I guess that's, maybe that's a strategy to keep you guys awake. We'll just dive right in and get to the exciting parts. <laughs> We're talking about the law. What could be more exciting than that? Come on now. All right. We know, so, because remember, disclaimer for the entirety of the book, you can't leave behind what has come before, which, ooh, that does change something. I do have something pithy and important to tell you. Um, if you are struggling with keeping up, check the bulletin boards. The bulletin boards are actually containing useful information. So if you are wanting to keep up on a Sunday morning, check the bulletin boards because I know you guys are just conditioned to walk right past them. So on your way out, look at them this week and then you'll understand what I'm talking about. And then you'll go from there. So past work of chapter seven, we know that the law is good and that it does its job. There will be a recap of that when we get into this this morning. We know that we are sinners in and of ourselves, but we are righteous in Christ. And we know that the law reveals this and guides us in righteousness. So there's your reader's digest of like the last two weeks. Good, right? Huh? So when it comes to the law, we're done, right? Right? There's, there's nothing else we should have to deal with at all. Oh, contraire, mon frère. See, yeah, say, I'm done. No, that, no, that wasn't it yet. <laughs> see, this could be a problem when left to its own devices because the problem we always have with our Bibles, this was something that came up in Sunday school, so I'm going to use my bad analogy. I will borrow from my bad French accent. You need to have the right Pepe Le Pew run when you read your Bible, okay? So bear with me. You guys remember Pepe Le Pew cartoons? Little Pepe hopping along, trying to chase after the cat who's scrambling. For all that cat's scrambling, where does she go? And yet Pepe with his little hop does what? Catches up and runs her down. This is how you should read your Bible. We do what when we go to read our Bible? We get into this big frizzy, big, you know, tizzy. We're gonna read through it, scrambling around, and what do we miss? Everything. Slow down. Calm down. Follow where you are in your Bible. Figure out where you are in the story that is getting you to Christ. Figure out what's going on with the people. Figure out what the history is and actually read it in context and it will actually bear fruit. See, I told you Pepe was going to help us out. (laughs) Now, Paul knows this. Paul is not writing this letter in some frantic hurry just to get something fired off to somebody. He wants this to make sense. Hence, you know, the lovely Pauline sentences that are entire chapters long. Therefore, all of this running down that, yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you are righteous in Christ. Yes, the law is good. Yes, it reveals your sin. Yes, it guides you in righteousness. But what's the problem in my daily life? What happens when how I view myself on the regular collides with what I know from Scripture? Be honest, what wins? What the Bible says or what you think? What wins more often than not? Uh-huh. So many of you are hanging, hang your heads in shame. I will help you out and give you a disappointed dad look. There you go. So the question becomes, if you're Paul, well, not if you're Paul, but if Paul's answering this, if you're the Romans, if you're anybody, if I'm righteous, why am I not righteous. <laughs> See, that's, that's, that's kind of should be a thing, right? Well, there you go. This is why the end of chapter 7. So let's dive in verse 14. Paul, like any good teacher, has a little recap. For we know that the law is spiritual. Time out. Yes, we do. Why? Because of what the law does and where the law comes from. The law does what? Reveals my sin, shows the holiness of God. The law comes from who? comes from God. What does John 4 tell you? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So 
Paul is taking step one here because he's going to build a nice little comparison here between what should be and what is. So the law is spiritual, but... Yeah, you knew, you knew that was coming, didn't you? I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. So, by contrast, the law is spiritual, and I... Uh, yeah, I'm not. To borrow a good Southernism, the law is spiritual, and I ain't. So this is a problem. Now, again, rewind in your book of Romans. So Romans 5. Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And again, Paul has been very, very consistent on this. Go to his other letters, things like 1 Corinthians 3. <laughs> and your fault too. Brethren, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. If indeed now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men. Again, what's the Corinthian problem? We view ourselves based on our status in the world, what we want, what we desire. Are we living as spiritual to righteous before God, or are we living as sinful, God, just rejoicing and loving everything about our flesh? This is the problem. This is humanity's problem, by the way. You don't get to sit there and go, oh, those silly Corinthians. Why don't they know any better? Just like, like, what do we do when we read the Exodus? We look at the Israelites going, you're staring at the parted Red Sea. And you're like, oh, if only we had died in Egypt. You've just brought us into the wilderness because there was nowhere to bury us. And out here, there's all this wonderful free open ground to dig our graves. Now we understand. See, we always sit there and be like, I wouldn't have been like that. I would have walked on the water with Jesus. I would have enjoyed the manna. I would have been like, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and I understand all things. No, you wouldn't. Your sinful self would have been just like their sinful self, would have been just like every other sinful self in history, because let's be honest, when you know the truth of scripture and you look at yourself in the mirror, who do you listen to more often than not? Welcome to the problem that Paul is trying to address. Verse 15. For what I am doing, and by the way, I love the language here. Notice Paul's not doing the preacher thing. Like, for what you people. <laughs> Who's he throwing under the bus here? Yeah, because let's be honest, who is this about? All of us. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. Welcome to the planet, Paul. Welcome to the Christian struggle. Congratulations. You have no idea what that feels like, do you? You are such wonderful, good, and holy people, right? <laughs> yeah, again, this is us in a nutshell every day. Again, go back to the beginning of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Ooh, ooh, pick me, I know. We, we, we find a way, don't we? Like, I am dead to that. It has no power, no authority. Oh, come here, you're cute. <laughs> Isn't this daily life? Again, we find a way, Philippians 3. What was Paul telling you about his upward call in Christ? Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything, you have a different attitude. If any of you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. So, pause for a second. This is the only place that sin still has power in your world, is it gets you to look at who and look where. Look at me and look at me when. No. Then. You've never been undone by that. You've, you've never been undone by thinking about your past, thinking about what you've done, and thinking, well, you know, I'm not any better than that. You've, you've ne- you're such wonderful, righteous, and holy people. You would never in a million years have that problem. <laughs> Please. Too many of you are like me, reliving conversations from 15 years ago in the shower on a random Tuesday morning. Why didn't I say this? And why didn't I do this? <laughs> why, why? Why do we torture ourselves? Because this is what sin does. It gets you to focus away from the work that God has done, away from where you are going, and on to what you have been. Now, this is why I always give you driving analogies for sanctification. The, um, you, you, do you guys know what Mystery Science Theater 3000 is? where they, they sit there and make fun of really bad movies. They, years ago, they did one of these, um, they were picking on one of these 1950s safe driving videos. <laughs> and the, in, in the safe driving video, the teenager ends up getting hit by a train because he's driving for the first time and he's talking to his buddies in the back seat and he's driving a convertible and waving to his friends. And I'm always struck by the line because he's sitting here driving the car down the road and he's waving to the people who are following him. And the guy goes, don't drive forwards while looking backwards. It's like, yes, why don't we do that? One, have you seen the potholes in this place? Two, have you seen how people drive in this place? What's going to happen? But how do we live our lives? You can't go forward if we are looking backward. But what is the call of sin? What is the lie of the enemy? And what is the power that it gets you to do? It gets you to forget what Christ has done and forget what Christ is doing and has promised and just gets you to focus on what you did. This is why I remind you, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Because when you look at your past, when you look at who you were, you go, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the stuff that Jesus killed. That's the stuff that he was crucified for. That's the stuff that has been overcome. That's the stuff that has been conquered. That is the stuff that is dead. This is who I am in Christ now. And that is not where I am going. That is where I have been. And where I am going is to the upward call of Christ, the forward call that Christ has given. This is the reality. And this is part of that dichotomy of Christian living. Paul recognizes it. John recognizes it. So 1 John 1, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. No reason to hide it, no reason to lie about it, no reason to try to deny it. We know who we are because we are human beings, but for every look at yourself, for every realization of what you were, for every realization of who you were, there's a realization of who Christ is and what he has accomplished and what he is making you day by day. This is why, again, I tell you, how many victories do we celebrate? All of them. What if we went four total inches today? Yay! Again, marathon, not a sprint. This is, this is the danger that new Christians fall into. Like, let, no, no, I'm trying to think I have a really bad analogy that would be funny, but not going to work. <laughs> I try not to pick on people, but you, you can't just, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm behaving. Look, I'm turning over new leaves. It's fall. They're all falling. I'm trying to turn them over. <laughs> 
this is, but this is part of the danger that new Christians will fall into. It's like, we're going to fix everything and we're going to fix it when? Right now, because we're good. And, and you're like, okay, give it a minute. Because <laughs> if you've been a Christian for more than a minute and a half, you know what? That energy is going to run out because who's powering it? You are. It doesn't work that way. You are going to wake up 20 years from now if God gives you that breath, and some of you are like, please don't, <laughs> and say what? I cannot believe that I am warring against this sin. Why didn't I war against that thing 35 years ago? And the answer is because you weren't ready to deal with it 35 years ago. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, no, no. We have other fish to fry now. We have other things that we have to deal with. When it's time to deal with that, we'll deal with that. And when the time comes, guess what you can then do? With the wisdom and the knowledge of what you have gone, what has come before, with the wisdom and knowledge of who Christ is and how he has accomplished, you can tackle that problem too. So I'm forever telling you to be faithful when? Now. Because if you're faithful now, you'll be faithful then because that'll be now and that's how the time paradox works and that's just all there is to it. <laughs> but realize this is the human struggle in Christ. And what I love about our Bible is that the apostles aren't forgetting this. They're not ignoring this. Again, John is like, hey, if you try to tell me you're not a sinner, just stop it. You're a liar. I mean, Paul is like, no, 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 I get it. I'm not practicing the things that I would like to do. And not only that, it gets worse, verse 16. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, which is human tendency, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good, which again was Paul's entire argument going back into 6 and 7. The law is good because it does reveal this truth to you. So go back to Romans 6. Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now... Present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Now again, reminder, we covered this. What's the main way that the law accomplishes this? It shines light. It removes your ability to lie to you about who you are and what you are. Which is why I've told you a million times. I'm going to do this again. Be honest. You've never been in your sin, wallowing in your lusts of your flesh, and been like, you know, this is a really good idea. Like, this, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I need to be. There is always that voice in the back of your head saying what? What are you doing? Stop it! And you just look at that voice and say what? Sit down and be quiet. We're having fun. Now, let's be honest. Everything you just said is what? It's a lie. And, the, and you know it's a lie because the law is looking at you saying what? We've talked about this. And you're sitting there saying, yeah, I know. This is the beauty of God's law is that it reminds you of what is true and what is right. And you don't get a little rock to hide under. This is, again, um, part of the lesson you get from things like the book of Job. Is when God doesn't show up in the whirlwind and Job wants to argue with his friends, what can he sit there and do? I can argue till my heart's content. I can turn your arguments and I can win this because I'm smart and I know things and gosh darn it, people like me. Sorry, couldn't help that one. <laughs> when God shows up in the whirlwind, Job suddenly feels very, very, very exposed, doesn't he? All those words, all those, I want to stand before God. I want to be judged. I want to hearing with the most high. Well, God shows up to give you that hearing and Job says what? I'm gonna sit down and shut up, my bad. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, yeah, the exact terminology, I repent in dust and ashes. I will be silent and you teach me. Good move. Why? 
because he knows the truth and he's been confronted with the realities of who God is and who he is in light of that. And that changes things. This is part of the joy of the history of scripture and seeing the interactions that people have with God is it's instructive for them. So things like Psalm 51, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly for my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Why, uh, what's the thing, what is the first thing a king is supposed to do in Israel when he's anointed king? Write a copy of the law for himself and then read it every single year. Why? For this very reason. So that when you fall, you go, oh, that was in there, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I know it was. I wrote that down. Huh? Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. This is what I love about when God shows up in the Old Testament is nobody's ever sitting there after God arrives going, but, 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 my bad. <laughs> because you know, and you know that they know, and he knows that you know, and everybody knows, and now we can move on with life. So verse 17. So now, because I do the thing I don't want to do, and I'm agreeing with the law, so now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. This is one of the reasons why you have to take all of those looks at Christ, because you have to see yourself rightly in regards to who you are and what's going on. So yes, you are bad people. I still love you. It's okay but you're bad people. Jesus has made you righteous. We're all working on it. I got that part. The law then doesn't condemn you. It points out the places where your battles are supposed to be fought. It allows you to tell yourself the truth and see yourself rightly. Galatians 3, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Now again, when you take that lesson and you go to Christ, what do you discover? Things like Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Because at the end of the day, where your trust is, what you are hoping for, and what you are attempting to accomplish in this world is of vital importance. Again, not just Paul, First Peter 1. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever." That shouldn't just be a warning. That should be an encouragement. Why are you in your sin? Why are you doing the thing you do not want to do? Be honest. You lied to yourself about it and said, it'll be a good idea. It'll feel good. It'll taste good. It'll make me happy. It'll whatever it may be. And yet, what did it not do? Where's that battle being fought? There's coming a day when that is being undone. There's coming a day when that withers. There's coming a day when that will be gone. And righteousness from God will reign. And you won't have that battle. Right now you are in the midst of it. I mean, be honest. Go, go all the way back to the beginning. Adam's not cursed. What is cursed? The ground. the ground. When that curse goes upon the ground, what part of this creation bears it? 
Remember this for the coming weeks. Yes. So you are not just in the midst of sinful people. You are in the midst of a sin-filled world. The creation doesn't like you. It's groaning for its own redemption. We'll be covering that in the coming weeks. It, would, it is longing for something to be set right. That's why tornadoes and hurricanes and winds and all of... The creation is just as afflicted as you are. You are in the midst of sin and struggle. I'm not shocked you fall on occasion. I'm actually shocked you don't fall more often. That's good news. Why don't you fall more often? That gib slap from the Holy Spirit going... like ah, I got that one. Okay, there we go. <laughs> this is what, again, the reminders from last week. What's the language? Anchored, rooted, grounded, built up, strengthened, being put together, being built up are all to get you to remember what? That you're supposed to have a refuge in a topsy-turvy sinful world. This is one of the reasons, okay, long term, this is one of the reasons why we do church the way that we do. And this is one of the reasons why I get so annoyed with so much of modern church in America. Be very careful. I learned a very hard lesson years ago. Be very careful when you speak about the church. It is the pride of Christ. So. <laughs> but be honest. How much of our church and our culture is just, eh? Because what have we lost? We've lost sanctuary. We've lost refuge. We've lost the concept that, no, I need a place where I'm not trying to deal with them. I need a place where politics goes away. I need a place where trying to encounter and change their minds goes away. I need a place where I hear from God, learn from his word, and I'm strengthened so that the rest of my life can be spent where? (laughs) Where it always is spent, dealing with that. This is why we do what we do. This is why it's important. If you don't actually get away from that stuff, and actually get into something decent, then what, hey, what chance do we have when we are surrounded on all sides every single day? Now you understand why so much of the church looks like what it does. Remember when we go through that survey every couple of years when they do it, and it's like, 40% of the church doesn't believe that Jesus is God. You're like, are they in the same Bible we're in? Can I give you a really bad answer? They're not. Because they're not in a Bible. They're in something else. It, the way you see God the way you understand who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, should change everything about your world. It should change how you raise your kids. It should change how you interact with your neighbors. It should change the way you do church. If it doesn't, congratulations, guess what you just found? You found your scenario. What do you get to go do? Ah, Kill it with fire the whole nine yards. This matters. How you see God, how you see yourself in light of him is important. This is again why. So to borrow from them out there, this is again why, what's the constant pull from the world? Throw the Bible out the window for a second. Ask the world, what do you think of humanity at their core? How would you describe them? They're they're pretty good, right? Bunch of people trying their best, trying to make it in life, just doing the best they can. Is that a biblical presentation of humanity? No. Now, when you see people as basically good, now do you understand why you have a problem when you watch the news and you see things like what's going on in the Middle East right now? And you go, why don't they see this as a bigger issue? Because they don't see people as evil. Therefore, when they see, when they see evil acts from people, they think something else is broken. They think something else is causing it. They can't see that as originating in the depravity of the human heart which is why we'll change the laws, which is why we'll institute this program. We'll throw a little more money at it. We'll do this. We'll, we'll do anything but address what? 
Because if we don't address that, we can still lie to ourselves about who we are, what we are, and what we're trying to do in the world. This is why, Christian, you have to remember this always. When you have water cooler conversations about what's going on in the world, you're having conversations about what's going on in the hearts of humanity and how that impacts and interacts and and infests the world in which we live and how that guides them and how that changes them and why you are standing where you are and why you think what you think. If you don't do that, you found an area where the gospel message has not penetrated into your worldview. You found the area where you are not allowing who you are in Christ to be determinative on how you think about things. Now again, congratulations, you've looked at yourself. What should you do next? Look at Jesus, remember who he is, remember who you are in light of that, and now go back to work. This is the reminder of the gospel that you're getting. This is the hope that Paul is trying to build up, is yes, you are sinful. Yes, it is a broken world. Yes, there are problems. Yes, there is a savior. Yes, there is righteousness. Yes, there is hope. And we're going to get to it. I have to sprinkle a little in as we go. So, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Again, Paul, get out of my head. Stop it. Now, why can Paul get this so accurate? Because this is your battle in sanctification. I mean, Mark 10, what did Jesus say to the crowd? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, that was an important question because if you're recognizing that Jesus is good, you're actually recognizing what about him? Yeah, because humanity is not good. But let's be honest, what's the problem in the modern world? What do you mean we're not good? What do you mean we have problems? Now, if God is good and I'm seeking day by day in sanctification to be like my Savior, then I'm trying to grow in holiness. Why is there nothing good in me? Christian, where is the battle? Ephesians 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, to give you like bad horror references from the 70s, in other words, the calls are coming from inside the house. (laughs) The problem is not necessarily always out there, because short of redemption in Christ is out there getting better. No. Okay. With that knowledge in mind, Christian, in Christ, are you supposed to be getting better? Yes. Now stop. In Christ, are you getting better? Yes. Because what's our, what, what victories do we celebrate? So, so yes. If, you're, if the answer to that is no, then what was, what's the biggest problem? Is the problem that you're not getting better or the problem is more than likely that you're not where? In Christ. So again, what's your starting point? Stop looking at yourself. Look upon Christ. Remember for that too he has died. So as we are being sanctified, knowing that the world is not, can I blame them? Is it their fault when I sin? This is why I tell you the calls are coming from inside the house. Yes, you're surrounded by it. No, Jesus is not shocked. John's not shocked. Paul's not shocked. Peter's not shocked. And yet they all tell you what? Stop it. (laughs) Why? Because they're begging you to look where? At Christ. They're begging you to look away from yourself to recognize the truth. This is one of those great examples you get in your Bible. So, like, repeated themes. I'm always telling you, as you're reading your Bible, see repeated themes. So, every time you have a leader, a major leader passing away from the stage, 
What's his instruction to the next generation? So Moses, at the end of Deuteronomy, what does he tell the children of Israel? See this day I have set before you life and death. Do whatever you feel like. No, he says what? Choose life. Joshua, look, we stick it on coffee mugs for crying out loud. You know how I feel about coffee cup verses. Yeah. What's Josh, Joshua's final word? Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether it be the gods you had behind you, but as for me and my house. What is that? What, why is he telling you that? Look, look, you have to decide for your house. What do I want you to do? I've wanted you to follow me throughout all of these battles. I've wanted you to follow me as we've conquered the Holy Land. I've wanted you to follow me as a righteous people of God. You know where else I want you to follow me? As we follow after what God has laid down. David gives the instructions to Solomon, tells him the same things. This is the recurring theme you have in Scripture. You have a godly leader when he's leaving the stage. It's, hey, what's Paul's instruction? Tells, tells the Corinthians what? Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Tells the Ephesians what? Follow after me as I follow after Christ. As we are walking in the right direction, you're supposed to be following along. This is the promise. This is the call to the next generation. Because what? If, you let, if you're left to your own devices in this world, if I just let you go willy-nilly out to wherever, you're going to follow along. Don't do that. You have been redeemed. You have been changed. You're renewed. You have a different power. You know the truth. You have been set free by it. Now, stop blaming them. Stop looking at them and start looking at who? This is again my driving analogy. What happens if you're going down the road and you never look this way, but you're like, oh, look at the pretty cows and the sky and the clouds and oh, there's grass and oh, more corn. Yay. Like we're driving through Iowa. <laughs> yeah, you do all of that. See, I, oh, okay. Who wants childhood trauma? <laughs> My father would look at anything but the highway while he drove. I can't tell you how many times he almost killed all of us. We used to drive down. <sighs> Friend of mine and I were, I don't even remember where we were going, but this is one of those vivid core memories. We're sitting in my dad's truck, single cab, uh, full-size pickup truck. And my father, the day before, had put Rain-X on the windshield, and it was the first time he'd ever put Rain-X on the windshield, so this was a big thing. And luckily for him, it started raining as we were driving. And I am sitting in the middle with nothing to hold on to, and my friend is sitting there with one hand on the door handle and the other hand on that, like, the roof handle, like, white-knuckling, because my father is driving and going, look, 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 this stuff is awesome. Look how the water just beads up on the windshield and rolls... And this is how he's driving, like staring at the bottom of the windshield. Just look how the water just beads. And we're like not even on the road. Like we got two tires in the grass and suddenly we're all going to die. <sighs> Why is that a bad plan? Because <laughs> where are you supposed to drive? Now, again, Christian, you blame the world. You make your excuses. You look at everything that they're doing and you never pay attention to where you are going. The upward call in Christ. What will you start doing to your car? See the problems here? What is your focus? For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. For every look at the world, take 10 looks. Which, advice, I know it's interesting. I know it gets your blood pressure up, and for some of you, that's a good thing. I know it makes you test your meds. For some of you, you like that. Every once in a while, you need to turn it off. You see the world, the things that are going on. You, you, you don't, you do not have to be an expert in every. Thing that the world is craving, sinning towards, and depraving itself with. You don't. It feels like you do because then someone asks you a question, you're like, I don't know, I haven't thought about it. It's okay. It's okay. This is a lesson we had going back into Ecclesiastes. You can't absorb 
everything. And not only can you not observe everything, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. I didn't tell you to be a hermit and live out in the cabin in the woods. That's my dream. Get your own. (laughs) I did tell you that sometimes you have to turn it off because you've not taken your 10 looks back at Christ. You're looking too much at the wrong things. And again, your parents were right when they told you, you know, you keep watching that TV all day. It'll rot your brain. Garbage in, garbage out. They weren't terribly wrong. If you don't believe me, just leave a kid with a tablet for like two days and see what they're like. I'm convinced I could like give my kids their tablet and their charger and turn them into actual zombies. I am convinced of it because you like, we'll give them their tablet time. Like, all right, you can have an hour. And they're just like, Connor's running into things, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, why did we do this? Uh, this is what the world does. Unplug, look away, focus on what is good, right, and beautiful. Focus on the things that are above, where Christ is seated in the heavenly places. This is the advice that your Bible is giving you because this is what is good for humanity. There's nothing good out there, just as Paul is warning you. So we continue on verse 19. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil thing, or the very evil that I do not want. Yes, because... Because I'm alive and because I know this, this is, again, Christian, why do you think I keep telling you, learn to love to fight? Because you're going to fight with you. You're going to war with you. You're going to battle with the desires of your heart, and you're going to battle with these things. But do them with an eye towards eternity. You've won. You're not going into battle hoping you will come through the other side. You're going into battle knowing you already have. What God has promised, he will deliver. See, notice how we forget that. I can ask you that about like something like, well, you look at, you look at Revelation and you see the armies of Satan lined up against the armies of Jesus. And who's going to win? You're like, well, God's going to win because nobody can fight against God. And then you go to battle against your sin and you go, well, I have God on my side, but I don't know if I'm going to win this battle against my sin. Say that again. <laughs> Slowly. It's like, um, oh, see if I can make somebody annoyed. A um, couple of years ago, one of the Flat Earth Societies put out a tweet that said, flat earthers have, the Flat Earth Society has members all around the world. <laughs> and somebody responded, say that again, slowly. <laughs> and I was just like, you know what? I'll allow it. <laughs> this is what we do is we go, yes, Jesus has died for me. Yes, Jesus has overcome my sin. Yes, the Holy Spirit has imparted to me. Yes, he is overcoming. Yes, he has promised me a place in his kingdom. Yes, he will make me righteous. Yes, he will give me victory over my sin, but I don't know about that one. This is why I make fun of the Israelites going into the promised land. Because what what do we always pick on the Israelites for? They were in Egypt and they saw hail and the cattle died and the locusts and the frogs and the flies and the river turned the blood and the darkness and the storms and the death of the firstborn. And then they saw the parting of the Red Sea and they saw the manna and they saw the quails and they saw God descend upon the mountain and Moses got mad at him and threw the tablets and then they saw Moses go back up of the mountain and there was more lightning and more commands and they made a covenant with God and then they sent the spies into the land and the land said, the land is awesome just like God promised, but the people there are really tall. I mean, that's what it means when you say there are giants in the land. So it's like, okay, so seriously, the God who created the heavens and the earth who, with a word, who rules over everything, who conquered the Egyptians, who has sustained you and fed you in the wilderness, can't beat tall people? This is the dumbest argument in all of human history, and Israel made it with a straight face. Christian, when I tell you you're no better and I'm no better, what do we just do? Yes, I know who God is. Yes, I know what he has done for me, but my sin is, it's tough. That's like saying, well, I don't know if God can beat tall people. 
I don't know if he can conquer me. I don't know, I'm pretty tough here. I'm scrappy, I'm a fighter. I mean, (laughs) does this make any sense? No, this is what we do, Christian. This is where you live. You war, you struggle. The lie of the world is, well, you know you struggled yesterday. You know you struggled today, and you you know you struggled the day before that. You're just going to struggle until the end of time. And you go, yes, I know, isn't that awesome that I, because of the work of God, because of the accomplishing work of the Holy Spirit, am going to war against my sin because he has empowered me to do so. Because the rest of the pagans are doing what? They don't care. They're not fighting because they don't care. You care. This is good news, 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I disciplined my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. See, that's good news. The rest of the world doesn't even know there's a race. You're running. They're like, what is he doing? What's going on here? I'm so confused. Why are you punching at me? Stop it. (laughs) I have a guy who does that at the gym. It's the weirdest thing on the planet. He's got his headphones in and he sings for no good reason, even though there's like three people in the gym. But he'll sing the songs that are in his headphones and then all of a sudden he'll just stop and go. (laughs) And then he'll go over and do something and I'm like, don't make eye contact. Don't look. (laughs) It's, I've actually stopped to talk to another person in the gym who knows him. Is like, is he Okay. Like, do I need to be worried? And he's like, I don't think he is. <laughs> you know, it's bad when another person in the gym is like, I don't think that dude's all right. And I'm like, okay. Message, message received. You think I'm kidding. We made eye contact with a guy who was watching. There was one other guy in the gym and we're all, he was doing his thing and screaming out, doing these weird push-ups. And then we looked at each other and it's like, no, we can't look at other people because now we're all laughing. <laughs> and I don't want him to know we're laughing at him. Because <laughs> I don't know how he's going to react. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah. See, that's how we look to the rest of the world because they don't care about their sin. They don't care about their righteousness. They don't care about the battle. Christian, care about the battle. Care about your sin. Go to war. Yes, they're going to look at you. When they're running around willy-nilly losing their minds and you're anchored, they think you're crazy. Good. When they're over there indulging in your sin and you're running the race, they think you're crazy. Good. This is what we do. This is how we fight. This is what we need. Verse 20. But... If I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Yes. By the way, this is actually good news from Paul here. This is good news. This is not you. Isn't this kind of his whole point going back to chapter four, that you are saved by grace through faith and that you are being transformed. You are no longer like those under wrath from chapter one and chapter two and that you are no longer the ones indulging like chapter three, but you are redeemed and you are transformed and you are new and that that newness produces hope and perseverance from chapter five. He's building on that. It's not you. That's not you. This is why you can be anchored when the world is going along is because you're anchored to Christ and you're looking at your sin and go, that's not me. That's not where I want to be. Oh, wait, wait, I'm drifting. Stop it. Pull that back in. Okay, okay, we're good. We're good because I don't want to be over there. That's why when they're off indulging in your sin and you're running around doing your shadow boxing and your, uh, was that Billy Banks? What was that thing called? The Tybo. Yes. Remember every middle-aged woman on the planet had that. They went from uh, Richard Simmons dancing with dance, uh, sweating to the oldies. And then they were all doing Tybo. <laughs> he was like, I'm losing weight. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Some of you are picturing yourselves. <laughs> Don't point. That's not nice. <laughs> 
That was years ago. My grandmother, when she went to the nursing home, was so excited. She was 92 years old, and she had to tell me all about that she got her yellow belt in Tai Chi. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, is that the slow motion one? And she's like, yeah, I can do it in my wheelchair. <laughs> because that's what they gave her for exercise. And I'm like, you know what? You go. You go, lady. Go, team. Mom will be by tomorrow to pluck your face. It'll be awesome. <laughs> That was my mother's favorite phone call. My grandmother would call me like, can you come by and pluck the, the, pluck the hairs off my chin? <laughs> yeah. And my mother would just look at me with the phone. And I'm like, uh-uh. You're the daughter. That's, that's a you job. <laughs> I am not in on that one. But Christian, this is why. That's not you anymore. That sin, that iniquity, that temptation is something else. It is now alien to you as you are in Christ. This is good. This is the turn because you know what that means? Again, what, what's the best benefit of the law? Is that you can't lie about it anymore. You know the truth. This is why I love this. This is why I love the way that we do stuff because this is one of the reasons we change it from what the world would have you to do because you can be honest about things. There's no reason to hide because we already know. I've told you this before. The number one thing I know about you when you come to church is you're a bad person. I don't assume you're good because you're already telling me you're not good because you're where? You're, you're here. And like step, it's like, it's like when you go to the AA meeting, which I've had to go to one for a counseling class when I was in seminary. I'd be like, I want you to go one A. They put me in charge of the chips. Like I sit down and like, oh, here, can you pass out the chips? And I'm like, for what? <laughs> I'm just standing there. I'm like, what year was that? 2005. So it's 24. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting there like this dude's been in AA for 35 years and I'm holding it. Like, what, what do I do? I do I give him that now? He's like, just finally some guy just here. I got it. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> but what do they start with? Hi, I'm Dave. I'm an alcoholic. This is what your call is in Christ. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm an, I'm an evil person and God has redeemed me. This is your starting point. You don't get to pretend to be good anymore because we already know the truth because you've already made an appeal to God for a clean conscience because you didn't already have one. Galatians 6. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Oh, not me. I would never sin. I'm, I'm, I'm perfect. Oh, stop it. You're here. We, are, we, we know better. James 5. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth... And one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is why I like the community. This is why I don't get to live in a cabin out in the middle of nowhere by myself, because I need this. We, we need this because I need the reality of the world and I need the sanctuary from the craziness out there. First, First Thessalonians 5. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one repays evil with evil for evil, I read that too many times. See that no one replay, repays another with evil for evil. I got caught up there. But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. This is the hope. Because we recognize what? The truth. Sin is at work. It is corrupting and it is challenging and it is tempting. But Christ has overcome. And as he has overcome, we will overcome. And as we overcome, we overcome together. This is why we walk together. This is why it's so important. Again, why we do what we do and why we do it the way that we do it. Because we need this. Verse 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Yes. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. This is the warning to Cain that you have to master sin. Paul same idea here. We know the truth. We know what's going on. Verse 22, for I joyfully concur with the law, with the law of God in the inner man. 
Of course I do, because the law is good and it is spiritual and it comes from God. And if I'm arguing against what God has told me, then who am I really arguing against? No, I'm arguing against God. Who wants to be on that spot? And that's why, that's why I always give you the bad example when you sit there and try to argue. No, 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 I was good and I didn't do anything wrong. What you're basically trying to do again is climb up into God's chair and go, that's my seat, you need to get out. <laughs> See, we never think about it like that because then we realize, okay, that was really dumb. <laughs> and what's the rule? Don't do dumb things. When is that rule in effect? Okay, just making sure you're paying attention. <laughs> and yet, and yet, what do we do? This is the reality. This is what Paul is building on, verse 23. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Now, the bad news of this is that sin is fighting against your spirit every single day. We know this, James 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? But, catch what's going on here. If sin was winning and your spirit was being defeated and you were losing this battle day by day, how long would that have to go on before you stopped caring about the fight? I mean, be honest. How many times do you have to get your butt kicked before you stop fighting? Doesn't take much, does it? Doesn't take much. Paul sees the reality of himself. Paul sees the reality of his life. He knows what his desires are. He knows what his accomplishments are. And yet, what is he still doing? Yes, sin is fighting against your spirit. But stop! Your spirit is doing what? Fighting against your sin. This is good news, Christian. 2 Corinthians 5. Why is it doing this? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold! New things have come. Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul has just laid out the gospel. For from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, there's that imagery again, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you will be filled up to all the fullness of God. Okay, this means God has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. He has not left you to your own devices. Instead, he has redeemed you and strengthened you and goes to war on your behalf and has promised you that you will be victorious in the end. This is good news. Yes, there's war, but the fact that you are in war means you're fighting. If you weren't fighting anymore and they were fighting you, then we call that defeat. <laughs> and are we at war anymore with people we've beaten? Not, not typically. So again, enjoy the fight. Enjoy it. Relish in it because you know why? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, okay, so I like watching college football. I've been having fun because the team I enjoy watching the most is Michigan. And right now they are just like taking people out back and beating them to death. So I got to watch them beat a team yesterday, 52 to 7. Yeah, it was, and it was as ugly as that sounds. You know what though? When you're rooting for a team, it's kind of fun to watch that on occasion. Because you know what I know about midway through the second quarter of that game? It's over. And I can just sit back and relax. I mean, Vern's doing this. You're going to watch Byron High School play, and what are they doing to people? Yeah, they're putting like 80 points on people in high school football. It's, remember, that's like 12-minute quarters. It's awful what they're using. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, admit it, though. Sometimes it's a little boring, but sometimes it's really fun to just sit back and be like, okay, this is good. How are they going to dismantle this person today? This is you with your sin. 
You're not defeated. This isn't a fair fight. You are victorious because Christ is victorious. Your battle against your sin is a victorious. We know how this is going to end. The only thing that's going to determine, the only thing we're figuring out now is what's the score going to be? Like, do you want it to be a lot or a whole lot? That's, that's, that's the negotiation that we're having with our sin is how much do you want to lose by? Because it can be a really lot or a really, really lot or a whole lot. Pick one. <laughs> this is victorious living. This is the knowing who you are, who Christ is, what he has accomplished, and why you are doing what you're doing in the world. We are not defeated. We are victorious. We are rejoicing in the victory that Christ has. So yes, yes, every once in a while I lose a battle. You know, even, even bad teams that Byron beats get a first down on occasion. But they're not winning. You see, this is my point. Now, Christian, what should be the reality moving forward? Do they have progress on occasion? Sure. But over time, what's going to happen? The machine rolls, it accomplishes, and we win. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Ooh, ooh, pick me. I know, I know, I know. Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because there's your answer. That's who can set you free. 1 Corinthians 6. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. 1 Peter 1. If you address as the Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. I'm going to say it again. Is this week three or four in a row? Similiustus et peccator. And no, there's not going to be some Halloween demon crawling out of the room. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not summoning anything. Now and forevermore in this flesh, right? But what's the reality of this life? 1 Corinthians 15. When this perishable will have put on the imperishable, when this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, I'm going to war till the end of my days. And then I will stand victorious because of what Christ has accomplished, because of who he is and what he has promised. So I can war joyously. I can trust as I walk through this world. I can focus on the things that are righteous. I can focus on the things that are good. I can build a life that honors God because of who he is, what he has done, and what he is doing. Please, don't forget that part. It's not just what he did and what he's going to do. It's what he is doing right now. Making intercession for his people. Ask. Giving them victory over their sin. Ask. Promising them a good kingdom. Fight. Persevere. This is, again, this is your Romans 5 math equation, right? Having been justified through faith, we have peace through God with our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of our God. And not only this, we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is what he's promised. This is what he's creating in us day by day is we are refined by the fires of this world. We are refined by the temptations that we suffer, the sin that is overcome because we are victorious. We can't, 
Hey, that was a funky beat right there. I like that. <laughs> the remix. No, <laughs> it's okay. We are refined through these things. We are being purified day by day. And again, Christian, we've won. Fast forward to the end of the book. Who wins? Whose side are you on? Therefore, go out into the world. Know whose you are. Know what, that, know what that means for your world and live accordingly because you stand victorious in Christ. Let's pray.